the juice with Jess Servian. I'm super stoked to bring you this podcast. Stick with us as we bring stories about everything in your customer's journey. Everything from customer acquisition to making the purchase of your product, of your features, whatever it is, to also retaining them. Welcome to The Juice with Jess Servian. This week, I'm joined by Nancy Gerd, Associate CX Director of Caraway. Nancy, welcome. Thank you. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, well, where do I start? <laughs> I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised. She's definitely a New Yorker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been in CX for about the past eight years now. And then where did you get your start? I started in retail. I was just little me in college, doing whatever, not knowing where, what I was, what was going to happen to me. Obviously, I was going to be okay. But one day I had an opportunity to dive into CX and I was like, sure, I love people. Just never stop. <laughs> I love that. So like you pretty much started from like the omni-channel experience and then worked your way into like the e-com experience. Yeah. So then you really got to understand like a customer at this point, right? Like the angrier version of the customer, right? I got everything from the in-person to phone calls to now behind the screens. Yeah. So you moved to Caraway in 2021 then, correct? So how do you think the customers are similar or different than your retail job at Orate? For our retail store, uh, you know, we had a physical store location, which I have to say didn't realize how much customers love. And now moving to Caraway Home, we don't have that in-person experience. And it's something that I'm seeing is craved a lot more, especially after COVID. I know. I think people really like that human touch, that human experience, right? But it's so interesting because like going through the pandemic, like we didn't have that, obviously, right? Which Yes, like people really want the human experience, but at the same time, they just really want to talk to people, right? So do you think like your tickets or I'd love to hear like a, like your tickets at Caraway, like tell me a little bit about the human experience that you guys deliver on like Caraway. Yeah, I mean, we have two very direct sides where one part people want to come and talk about design. Sometimes we get to Photoshop our collection into people's kitchens (laughs) and like give them color recommendations, which is really fun, especially when people maybe aren't too out there with their choices in purchasing for their kitchen. And then we do have the opposite side where we have to actually teach a lot of people how to cook. And it is a very sensitive topic because growing up, you know, we had our mom and dad's pans. We all use them. I know growing up, I got yelled at all the time. For the fork. For the fork. I know. And <laughs> the up, fork. Even up until college, I was just like, I can turn my chicken with a fork. It's totally fine. And now that I'm working in it, I'm like teaching people like how to properly cook or different cooking techniques rather. It's definitely a very testy subject. Yeah, that's interesting. So... I'm kind of curious about the recent TikTok that went viral with the girl and she had a pan that was like super burnt, right? So, you know, when you have this like a social piece, right? Like go viral. Like how do you guys combat that? Like how do you... How do you, like, did you get any inquiries about this? But also, like, how do you combat that with, like, educating your customer, like, on how to utilize the product? Yeah. I mean, it gets really tricky. But at the forefront, just you can't be afraid of social media. It's going to come. It's going to happen. I have been involved in so many 
viral videos, just product-wise, and just don't be afraid. If you know that you are backing and working for a product that is legit, which I believe Caraway is legit, makes your job a lot easier. For this one here, um, you know, she had a burnt pan, exterior, interior, and um, I can't tell exactly what happened without a full warranty evaluation, but it is safe to assume her oils got burnt and her heat might have been a little high. You know, we could have just went with her and sent her a bunch of articles to read, a bunch of cleaning videos, a bunch of cooking videos. But instead, I messaged her and I was like, hey, it seems like your cooking technique is a bit more on um, the stainless steel level. And we just released it. Like, do you want to swap your pans out and try this new material that might work better with your cooking? And she was so happy. She was like, I didn't know that like ceramic and nonstick didn't last forever. You know, this was really nice of you guys to do. Uh, are you sure it's OK? And I'm like, yeah going to help you have a better experience, especially since cooking is a part of our everyday lives. Right. And not everybody knows how to use a product or like fits into like their specific like it's kind of like makeup, right? Like not every shade of a concealer is the right color, right? And so, you know, in pans, I guess, and like just, Especially pans. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think that that's like an, it's an interesting opportunity to like educate people on like how to like utilize like the kitchen equipment. Like I don't fucking know how to use kitchen equipment. Like you guys, like I had a KitchenAid for a long time. And the most that I knew how to make in it was like, I don't know, adding flour and like eggs in it to make like some sort of dough, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like I never, I like, did, because I was never really educated on that, that tool on like how to utilize it. Yeah. And what's crazy too is I think, especially cookware, like I'm not going to lie before Caraway, I would have never thought twice before ordering a pan. I was like, yeah, this is a great pan and I'll cook my meals in it and it's fine. But now that I'm really into the world, like how things are made and the materials in it really matter on what you want out of your cooking experience and, you know, your, your investment. Information to bleed into the rest of the company. Yeah, I think one bad customer experience journey, which we've heard time and time again on every CX article out there, could be the end of, you know, their journey with the company. It is. It's true. Starting with the basics there. But one way recently, we had a gift of purchase this holiday season. And when I heard about the sale, I was like, oh, this is great. I don't think it's going to... I didn't think it was going to be such a hit. And not only was it a hit, it was so wanted by our community. And we just learned in different ways from CX tickets that some people had confusion on like how to redeem their free gift with purchase. Some people had confusion on when they were going to get it. And all of those little things we were able to bring back to our marketing team and mid-sale changed things in terms and conditions, changed how it was displayed on the in on the website. And it slowly brought down all of those inquiries. So customers didn't even have to contact us and had a more enjoyable experience. And that's the thing is if they are contacting us and we can reduce it, why not? Well, I think it's really hard to to like make a company or a brand very customer centric. I think that every department has their own their own process, their own wants, right? So like when you think of like marketing or you think of creative, they're like, oh, I'm going to make this like really dope email campaign or I'm going to make this really dope like picture. But like not everybody thinks about the psychology of a consumer, or the psychology of like a human being. Right. Um, I think it's really important. Like even when I look at like email marketing, right, like the way I'm writing an email and the way I'm putting out like copy in an email or photos or whatever, it's kind of like a funnel in a way. It's like, okay, I've captivated you. I'm going to fill the middle with like the information and then I'm going to close it out. Right. But I think a lot of times people like what happens, what I see like just in general of like marketers and just like people who get like too insular into like what it is that they're doing. And they think that like you can like Caraway, for instance, let's go back to like Caraway. So with the pans, for instance, right? Like they, 
each of your pan has a different type of instruction, right? And you might actually know the experience with that pan in particular, right? But then like explaining that to a customer who's never had an experience is two different things. And I feel like, and so this is what I'm going back on is, is saying, um, I think so what happens is that sometimes like marketers get a little too insular into like what they're saying, like uh, utilizing like terms that maybe you're only thinking about internally, right? And then when you're like kind of describing it to the customer, it's not going to be perceived the same way because you're utilizing terms that like you only know internally. Like you have to kind of treat your customers as if like you're teaching a child to do something for the first time, right? And and I think I, I even get frustrated. Like I'm like getting frustrated like thinking about it, right? I get frustrated thinking about like how many times people like are just too high level in like a marketing campaign or in a social campaign or whatever, or the copy on the website. And it's like, sometimes you just got to dumb it down. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that I cracked the code at Caraway with, when I was in the interviewing process, I went to my then interviewer, my now boss, Mark. And I was like, hey, am I allowed to just look at people's schedules and join meetings if I think it's relevant to my team? And he was just like, well, no one's done that before, but sure, as long as it's not like going out of your way. And I was like, no. So very early on, I started sitting in all of these meetings. And as we were talking about things, just even in the scoping um, periods, I'd put into the CX VOC. I'd be like, hey, you know, customers might actually like this better or like this term a little better. They're not in the e-commerce world. Like maybe they'll understand this a little better. And it took some pushback naturally because data is displayed differently across departments, but they eventually kind of got into it and they were like, okay, this makes so much more sense because this is who we're selling to and not who we're selling for. So switching gears slightly, like we're talking about like feedback looping into other departments, right? What types of tools are you using to kind of like gather like insights and like feedback to the rest of the company? Are you utilizing AI? Are you utilizing Google Sheets? Like what's what's the jam? Yeah, I think everything starts on Google Sheets. As old school as it is, it's our first place in Caraway to start tracking. And once we realize, okay, this has a lot of value, then we'll start looking for a tool. Then from there, we have recently onboarded No Fraud, which was a, a, a very manual process for us previously for combating fraud orders. And No Fraud utilizes AI and a thousand different techie terms that I do not have off the top of my head. Um, but that's something that we we had three agents on, and now it's completely automated. We spend maybe ten minutes a day on it. Interesting. Interesting. I actually tried to use no fraud for um, one of my fractional clients, but they didn't have enough fraud to like kind of in a way. But you actually bring up a really good point. So I know we're talking about like tech stack and like all of these things, right? And I think what's interesting, and this is more of a statement that I'm going to make, I think what's really interesting as CX leaders, as leaders or decision makers who um, are purchasing a, a SaaS tool, right, for their tech stack, we don't know the technical terms of your features. Straight up, like we don't know. What we do know is in order for us to advocate for your tool across the company and like get buy-in for it, we're going to describe it in the terms that we know it in, right? And I think it's really interesting that it's like all these tools have like all of these like ways of saying this feature or that feature. And like there's the say in the sales process, you're talking about, you know, um, oh, you gotta say this feature like in this particular manner. But at the same time, it's like us as decision makers we're not going to know what your feature is called. Like, straight up, I'm going to call it the way I'm going to advocate for it, and that's it. Would you agree? 
there's a tab open on my laptop religiously of me just searching these terms. Yeah. And I have to keep track of them all because like, I'm just like, I'll hear it in a meeting. I'm like, what are you about? <laughs> I know I know this. I know what's going on. I know what this tool is for, but I don't know what this term is. And I'll just Google it. And I'm like, oh, you could have just said this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think it's really interesting. Like there's so many tools out there, right? And then like, and a lot of these tools like we needed, especially as like CX or marketing leaders, like it's like you need AI and you need yeah. your CRM and you need all these things, right? But everybody has a different way of calling their feature set. And I'm like, can we just dumb it down just a little bit? You know, <laughs> I know that was more of like my hot take <laughs> and that I'm just taking. Cool. Like, actually, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about AI. Like how else other than like reporting or like fraud, like how else are you utilizing AI? Are you utilizing it in like chatbots or help center? I don't know. Like, yeah, so I'm just dipping my my toes into the whole AI world. This holiday season, we did we trialed two different AI functions. One chatbot for our help desk, and there was clear value in there. But you also need to remember when setting up AI, you have to keep the customers in mind of not just what are you taking away, but how do they want to use it? And I think that's probably our biggest, I don't want to say struggle, but our biggest experiment right now. How do our customers who purchase Caraway want to use AI in their shopping experience? And a lot of the times, like our customers really just want to speak to a human being. So it has to be all just functions that you can find on a FAQ page to reduce confusion for them. But if they're going to want to talk to us, we have to let them. Yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point about like chatbots and AI specifically. It's like, listen, and I'm like, I love AI. I love chatbots. Like I love all this stuff, right? Because it's like, I come from the world of like feastables or like high ticket types of like support teams, right? So I want to deflect as much as possible, but I also want to always have access to the humans, right? And I think it's a, it's a, common misconception that we think that, I wouldn't say we in particular, I would just say like in general in this like world of like AI that people think that like AI is going to come for your jobs, but I don't think it's oh, going to no. come for your job. I think it's literally going to help the external and internal customer, an internal customer being like your agent or even, you know, anybody who's executing like a uh, marketing strategy or whatever it is like, right, with to be able to like do their job really well. That like, I think that like, that's what it's going to come in. And the other point that you bring up and that I definitely want to also touch on is the fact that like for the customer, you always have to put your customer first. So you always have to have the option to say like, do you want to speak to an agent? Even if it's not a toggle, if somebody says human being or human in any sort of sentence, you better be transferring them to a human and humanizing that experience because all you're going to do is create friction in your experience. I jumped on when we set up our AI bots just to see how customers were liking it and I'm talking to them. And more than not, people thought I was AI when I would like join a conversation. So it's just like, okay, how can we use this? So now when my agents introduce themselves to our customers, they, they give them a nickname. They're like, hey, my name is Lincoln, but for this conversation, call me Links. Like, what can I call you today? That way, like, they know they're speaking to an actual person and it's not just a, hi there. Completely switching gears, not even like anything to do with support, actually to do with SMS. Postscript has a really good, let's call it feature, like in their set, it's called like SMS sales. And so I've incorporated um, this SMS sales into we do like- as well. You, okay, yeah, nice. I, I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I, I actually like, it's really interesting because before I used to not really 
I didn't want to like do things to like a call center or like, you know, somewhere where it was like, you know, 50 to 100 plus people and like they're not like dedicated to our brand. But I've seen like a lot of success in this, right? Because in the onboarding process, it's not necessarily automation. It is automation in the sense of like taking over the ticket, your SMS ticket. And then it like introduces the character as like, hey, this is Marie or hey, my name is Tyler, right? Or is it like, Sophia? Okay, cute. Sophia from Caraway. But I like that the personalization of it is my point, right? Like, even though it's like, none of that portion is like an automation, the automation is just like handing over the ticket. And then what happens is it's actually humans on the back end and then they're having a conversation, but like they're under Sophia or Marie or whatever their name is, right? And I think like, I think that's really important, whatever, whichever way you do this, right? Whichever way, if it's like slight automations in or full AI automation, you're giving it some sort of personality and some sort of personalization because then that way it like doesn't feel like it's like, I'm a robot named Beep Boop. Yeah, that was honestly one of my biggest fears with bringing on like outside teams in general. Um, when I joined Caraway, we're very like, if you tell me that your mother is in the hospital and X, Y, and Z, and then you tell go into your CX issue, I always make sure we address that human aspect of like, is your mom okay? Like, we're so sorry. We send flowers sometimes. Try to get really that human aspect there. So bringing on outside teams was really scary for me because I was like, I know how long it took us to learn. How long or how am I able to monitor this and have the same tone across different channels so it's a holistic experience? No matter who you're talking to and you don't know that it's an outside team, like you still think it's Caraway. Um, but Postscript was a beautiful partner to work with. They they studied our product for days and days before launch and um, haven't had issues so it's been really great. I'll look through text messages sometimes and they'll catch things that even sometimes I might miss. And I'm like, okay, this is yeah. this is more than just selling to the customer. This is engaging with them. This is creating that community with them. Yeah. Well, that's the point, right? So whether it's Postscript, whether it's a BPO, whether it's like any sort of like services that are an extension of your team, I think what's really important is that like the onboarding process of that is so tight with what your brand's process is and they spend the time in actually understanding that brand voice to then deliver on it. And I've seen, and so like completely switch, switching gears from like Postscript, right? Like you brought up like the, a good point about like outsourcing, right? And so if you think about like BPOs, like a lot of people hate BPOs because, and like, on, to be honest with you, I don't really like utilizing BPOs in like my support teams. Like I'd rather automate as much as many tickets as possible and then humanize the experience with like a low headcount so I can keep my teams like really tight, right? And that's like essentially what like my philosophy and that my philosophy varies from like yours or anybody else's, right? But the reason the reason for that it, and this is again my just humble opinion is that like BPOs like it's sometimes really hard to work with them. It's really important that they're like really engulfed in like your brand and your brand voice. And I've had quite a few like Partner Heroes a really good um like BPO that I would say that like really tries to like ingrain themselves in that brand voice and your yeah. brand. I think a, another one that I've worked with is um FCR. Um had a really good experience with them, but I'd love to like hear about cuz I th I think your staff is like in the U.S. and then in South Africa, right? Yeah. So we have a BPO Boulder right now that we work with, and I'm absolutely in love with them. We have agents in the Philippines, in Mexico, and in South Africa. And 
I have to say before them, I did have a very bad BPO experience and I was very turned off. I was like, I am sticking to my guns. This isn't the way to work with, um, you know, work in CX and keep that personalization and chatted with Boulder. And from the first call, I kind of felt very light and airy. I was like, wait, they don't want to just give me their normal way of doing things. Like I'm allowed to actually change their processes. So I worked and still to this day work very close with them. And we don't, it's almost like they're our team just in a different country and they take care of some admin work. Their agents really do care and embody everything within the caraway process. So I I couldn't be more grateful as partner, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. Like, I think just more so a shout out, like if there's, because there's plenty of like BPO companies out there, but I think it's any BPO companies that might be listening to this. I think it's really important that in your training and in your onboarding with a client, like you're not just saying like, oh yeah, we're going to like invest in the brand voice and like really be an extension of your team. Like, no, like you really need to like engulf yourself in that brand in order to be successful with that brand in particular, right? Yeah. I mean, even with Boulder, we completely changed how they hire for us. Their interviewing process, we, we changed every single step of the way and they had no pushback. They were like, Leah, let's try your way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good partnership. It's so good. Yeah. Not to mention we do get to visit them, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. You recently were in South Africa, right? Like in 2023? Yeah. I've gone twice before now. So 2022 and 2023. All right. Jelly. 2024. Coming in hot again. (laughs) So I kind of want to talk about a little bit more about Omnichannel experience. Like I would love to know, like what retailers are you in? I know you're in QVC, But like, I would love to know, like, are you in other retailers? Like, yeah, so we started off a relationship with Crate and Barrel. Okay, cute. And that was a huge one. We actually did an exclusive collection with them. So they had colors that no one else had, not even us. Um, And we really saw the success from there. And over, I want to say the past 12 to 18 months, We've launched in Target with an exclusive collection as well for their client base. We've launched um, with Indigo uh, for our international customers. And then shortly after seeing the want there, offered international directly on our site. QVC was a new one that we've recently launched with, which was so much fun. I grew up watching QVC, so it was a little throwback for me. I'm not sure if anyone younger than us knows <laughs> what they are. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shopping talk shows. Yeah, <laughs> it was big, you know, back yeah. in the day. Um, but yeah, we've just really, we want to partner with different retail locations that can get our product in front of customers, but they themselves still hold the caraway values to them. So at the forefront, they always have to have good customer service. We do not want to work with a retail partner if they can't provide the same seamless service that we can. Yeah. And that's very big for us. We have not yet gotten anybody to reach out to us and say, hey, I bought this product from Macy's and they're refusing to work with me. They're not answering me. I think that's terrible as a partner because it reflects back on you. You choose them. I think that's the hardest part, right? Like I've seen this a lot with like omni-channel brands that I like work with. You know, Feastables is a good, good example. It's like, okay, so it primarily was like in D2C e-com and then switched to like Walmart. And then if somebody had an issue with like Walmart specifically, they would come to us, right? Because like it was our email on the back of these bars, right? But then there's nothing you can do. You you can't do anything with, like, if they've had a bad retail experience, which leads me to my question. Like, so I think 
there's not a lot of brands out there that are on QVC. So I would actually be really interested to know for you, like, how did you prepare your customer experience team to launch on QVC? Like, I, I know that they have obviously like their own customer support, but like, are you seeing any of those tickets? Are you seeing any of those conversations? Like, and how did you prepare your team to even be ready to handle that if they were coming in? Yeah. So about last year, we had Jeff come in and Oh, Jeff, if you hear this, I'm so sorry. I think his title is CMO. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, but he came in and he he really led a lot of our retail expansion. And one of the first things he did was, hey, what information as a customer do I need to know when I'm buying in store? And we put together a deck and he launched this deck with every single retailer so that they know everything about our products so that when customers are shopping with them, they they get the same service. It's not it's not just, you know, a product being carried in the store like other teams really do know the product. So it makes the customer journey a lot more well-rounded and almost replicates what we would do. So that's really nice. And for QVC specifically, because we have an international team, we just had to teach them what it was, which was it's the biggest, I think, roadblock when working with international teams is just making sure they understand what's big in the U.S., why it's big, how it's big and how it can affect a customer. So our biggest was just really teaching the team what QVC was. And now, you know, we have agents that just like to watch QVC videos, which is My so I cute. I love that. I love that. There's like an IG person. I'll like tell you, I'll have to put this in the show notes, but there's somebody on IG. It's like a, a personality and it's a comedy personality. And it like does the impressions of oh, like QVC I know what you're talking about. <laughs> And that's literally all I'm picturing in my head right now is like your callers calling in. <laughs> Last point on uh, just going into retail and like how do you how do you um, deal with the obstacle of losing your customers' data? And and I don't mean like customers' data like oh, okay like I want to know about like your this and that like I mean like. Um, like the demographics of your customer or like their wants, their needs, like all of that stuff. Like how how is your brand managing that? So we have a lot of tools that our retention team uses there. But of course, if they're buying on any other retailer, you lose the data. What we do is on our end for our CRM, we track every contact that we get and where they purchased. So through that, we it's a very small amount of reach out, but about 10% reach out from our retailers. And from those tickets, we obsessively tag and try to collect as much information as we can, just so we can then share all of the sentiments going on with the larger teams. It's one of the only ways to do it right now that we found. Um, and as we continue to expand different tools, we do hope to collect more information. But... As a kind of roundabout, we are looking into a community management platform to bring all of our customers into one spot, regardless of where they purchased, so that we then, again, have all of those Caraway lovers together and seeing what we can learn from them. Because that's the biggest thing is we're learning from our customers. And that should be everyone's first thought when thinking about the VOC. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that the world is so social forward. Yeah. That bringing in those channels are such an important piece of um, customer experience. And I think I think it's I normally see like community management sitting more on the marketing side, but then you only think about it from like the marketing lens of like marketing to social channels, right? Yeah. But you really have to think about the social piece, the like community management piece as like actually managing that community and then like 
getting data from that community too. And it's really hard. It's really hard because it's like, what are you going to do? Like take a tweet and be like, this person is a male in 34 in Indiana. You know what I mean? Like, how are you going to know all that? Yeah. I mean, what gets really hard with community and social itself is we're getting way less information. And we already, as CX leaders, struggle with, hey, we got 15 complaints about this one thing. And you have to figure out how to make that 15 actually sound impactful when raising issues to other departments. Yeah. And then you go on social media and it's just a whole new ballgame of like how to even find these comments because it's not in one spot. It could be on an ad. It could be on an influencer's post. It could be on your own post, in your DMs, um, sent from someone else. Yeah. The touch points are endless. Yeah. But I think if you can really figure out how to listen, then you can grow a brand that customers want to work with. That's how we've launched... A lot of our new products, actually. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's like developing out that VOC. Um, I also think it's a little bit of like utilizing AI to like help you decipher like or I would say like go through like all these hundreds of tweets or these like LinkedIn posts, whatever, like TikTok, all these other places, right? I think that's actually where AI is like going to make the biggest play because you literally physically cannot sit there to just sift through something to like and tag it with like a negative or a positive sentiment. I've lived that and I'm like, no way. So hard. Yeah. I'd rather pay for the tool that has AI to help me decipher that. And maybe it's not always 100% accurate, but it's going to get me at least to the 80-20 rule. Exactly. Right. And I think with AI too, it gets really scary for people, but AI has been around for way longer than we think. We're just calling it AI now. I know. I know. Which is still kind of creepy, but, you know. It's insane, (laughs) but it's really helpful. And I think a lot of companies should encourage their employees to explore how they can use AI in their day-to-day. Right. Because every single person in your company is going to use it differently and for different things to make their job a bit easier or take something off their plate. Right. Absolutely. So a couple of um, hot take questions for you. Are you ready? Nancy, let's let, let the personality shine up in here. See. Um, what is the best customer experience you've ever had? And I want like biggest, baddest, like love it. Man, okay. This one I feel so bad because I want to say it's a cop out, but it's not. Best Buy, man. They saved me 2021. I it's so hard being in customer service because you realize the things that you do that it's like, wow, this is all my own fault. I waited waited until the last day before the Christmas deadline to get my boyfriend this new flat screen TV. Uh, working in CX, do forget to shop yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I got it right there. It was like two-day delivery. You'll be here by Christmas Eve. And I was like, great, that's what I need. The next day, I log on, and the package wasn't even picked up by FedEx, which we all know is not the company's fault. So I call them up, and I'm like, hey, like, I totally understand this is my fault. Like, it's not picked up. It's not moving. Like, it's my only present this year. I really need your help. And the woman on the phone before anything, which is like, well, first off, I'm going to go ahead and apply a 15% discount because this is not moving the way it should be. So I want to let you know we're doing that first. And I was like, whoa, thank you. I didn't even ask for that, but okay. And then she goes, this might get picked up today, but just in case, I'm actually going to schedule a delivery from one of our store locations to your house. And if the second TV just shows up, let us know and we'll come pick it up. I got the TV. Second one didn't come, thankfully, because I hate returns, but I got the TV even afterwards, she gave me a call back That's and amazing. asked me how the gift went. And I was shocked. I was like, whoa, Best Buy? 
Yeah. You guys are killing it. That's really awesome. I mean, I'm really surprised to hear that from yeah. like Best Buy because especially during that time frame, they're so busy. And they're just, they're corporate, you know? Yeah. They're not a smaller team that can have a bit more flexibility with what they're doing, but they really set up everything they got, I feel like, from customer feedback to make sure when those escalation points are happening, they know how to calm down the customer. I wasn't irate, but I was definitely panicking. Dude, do you think this is like not even a hot take, but like in general, do you think that we have more patience because we've been on the other end? Because I don't feel like I'm always patient. I'm going to be no, real with you. I had a terrible experience. I don't know if this is the next hot take, but yeah. I had a terrible experience recently with Quip. Oh, called out. Sorry. <laughs> Again, totally my fault, but yeah. I think being a CX leader, I always go into issues. I explain everything. I try not to name drop because we don't need to necessarily, <laughs> yeah. unless I need to. Um, and I had a subscription with them. I moved. Totally didn't even realize I missed my past two Quip subscriptions. And I got the delivery notification. I was like, oh, my God, like, let me email them and see, like, what I can do. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, this is totally my fault. Explain to them the whole situation. Did I give them more information than needed? 100%. And they responded with a macro. Ooh. Just a macro, no help, nothing. Basically, yeah. not our problem, your problem. And I was floored. I'm bummed for that. So bummed. Now I have to cancel Quip. Well, now I'm changing my toothbrush. I know. They're so cute. They're so cute and perfect. But you know, it really does. Every time I pick up that toothbrush in the morning, I think about those yeah. emails and yeah. I'm like, is that so bad? Like you're like you're using a product or whatever. Like I Symbiotica was a brand that I was so stoked for, so so stoked for, right? And I even signed up for subscription for them. And then what happened was signed up for subscription, all jammed, like or not jammed, sorry, it was the jam. <laughs> and um, I was like super excited about it. And then I like couldn't really get into their portal. Like it was like really hard. And I wanted to change some of the products. And so I was like waiting for the email to say like, oh, your thing's about to ship or, you know, your, a notification, right? Something. Something. Instead, of, all I got was a notification that it shipped. And I was like, okay. So I immediately went and talked to customer support. And I was like, hey, like literally within like 20, 30 minutes. And I was like, hey, listen, like um, I want to like make some changes to some of the products or whatever. And they were like, oh, sorry, it's already shipped. Mind you, it is like 2, 3 in the morning. And I'm like, listen, ma'am, sir. There is no way <laughs> this is already shipped, my guy or ma'am, whatever, right? And I'm like, there's no way. So then I ask him to like escalate it because they're like just going back and forth, back and forth, not getting anywhere. Then like the the CX manager doesn't even come back to me until like <sighs> the next day in the afternoon was like, now it's really shipped. And I'm like, okay. And then they were like, well, you can return it and we'll give you 20% off or something, something, something. And I was like, what? Honestly, I just took my $200 worth of products and canceled the subscription. And then it all lived in a box for a year because I was so mad about it. Those impressions are just lasting. I know. I know. All right. One more hot take. Ooh. You ready? Okay. Is the customer always right? Oh, I hate this. No, they are not. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know how many people are going to hear this and be like, wow, okay, not going to email her. But like, no, you're not always right. Yeah, I agree with you. But it is our job to make sure you feel like you got your issue resolved and yeah. how you wanted it to be resolved. Well, we've gotten some of the most surprising customer reach outs over the years. Yeah. My favorite has to be like FTC or like the general attorney threats. Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm giving you everything my heart and soul possibly can and more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry, but they're not always right. They're not always right. I'm sorry. They're not always right. And you're right. It is our job to like definitely help and service, but like they're not always right. And that's okay. Especially, you know, there be customers, you will have some traditional ones who yeah. think my way or the highway. That's yeah. how a lot of my older family members think. I'm very versed in it. Um, you can't change minds sometimes. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. Um, but as long as you know you put your best effort in, it's what you can go to sleep with at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, Nancy. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, where can the listeners find you? Oh, well, you guys can find me on LinkedIn. I do want to post this year, so hopefully, or at some of the DTC events in New York City. Yes, girl. Don't worry. We're going to gas you up. Well, I appreciate everybody listening and I'll see you next week. Thank you.